Hello and welcome to The Schism. This podcast is all about critical thinking, dot connecting, the nature of reality, and trying to uncover the truth about the world we live in, society, who we are, and where we come from. Hello and welcome to The Schism. Today I'm joined by my co-host Adam. Hello everyone. We're going to carry on with our series of episodes on the pandemic. So we've already talked about the years leading up to the current health crisis, the outbreak in China, moving on to Lombardy in Italy, up until when COVID then spread to the rest of Europe and the rest of the Western world and hit our shores in the UK. Old blighty, hello. Great Britain. So like we said before, the blueprint in terms of how to deal with this whole crisis was set by China. Yeah. The draconian lockdowns, the mandatory mass social distancing, mass testing, they look to have worked in China as the cases went down and the Chinese government's response was heavily praised by the likes of Bill Gates and Ted Ross. But when, when it hit the UK, the first bit of scaremongering that we got was the predictions Basically, we'd already seen what the impact was in China. We'd seen what the impact was in Italy, the videos of the hospitals, sick people, or in China, people falling over wildly in the street. Now we've got our own Mr. Neil Ferguson, who's going to tell us how this is going to affect us as the UK as a country. So obviously it was Neil Ferguson that gave the outrageous predictions for swine flu, where he was saying that hundreds of thousands of people were going to die. And then they got Neil Ferguson back in, even though he'd done such a shit job. Like I said before, guys, why would you employ the same bricklayer to put up the wall that just fell down? Come on, you don't employ idiots to do the same job Well, again. the whole point was they got him in to do exactly the same thing again. So hmm. the same guy, along with John Hopkins uh, University. University. Yeah, we remember those bastards. <laughs> uh, where the predictions for swine flu came from, it's like the same people, the same institutions, yet again, dishing out similar outrageous scaremongering predictions, saying that over half a million Brits could die. I think yeah. it was in the first year yeah. once COVID broke. Half a million. I mean, that's ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, if you've yeah. heard that on the news, because bear in mind, that's the first thing we got was all the media giving us yeah. all the fear, like how this is going to affect everyone in the UK, businesses, yeah. everything. To hear that as a figure, half a million people within a year, that is quite scary. That's one in, I don't know, it's like one in a hundred or something. It's and, quite a lot of people. And then alongside that, let's not forget that you have Boris Johnson saying that there was going to be bodies in the streets. Like, that was the rhetoric, like bodies piled in the streets. I mean... We haven't seen anything like that. Bodies in the streets. I mean, that's that's Black Plague. Yeah, I mean, it, you can't deny the Black Plague and how many people died. We're millionaires! Exactly. Well, even, even Spanish flu. I mean, there's 30 yeah. million people died in the Spanish flu. I, I, we haven't seen anything like that. No. And, and half a million Brits in the first year. It was just absolutely mental. These predictions, where, where are they coming from? I've heard David Icke say... When it comes to computer projections, shite in, shite out. Mm. <laughs> That's like quite a crude way of putting it, but it's such a good point because you can put whatever you want in to get what you want out. Exactly. And you're in control of that. So if you want massive, overblown, hundreds of thousands or millions figure-wise to scare people, well, then you just put in the necessary information to get that out. Exactly. I mean, this is the whole point we said with the pandemic. You don't actually have to have a problem. You just have to perceive that there's one. And then everyone will just go along whatever shit yeah. you throw at them. 
And just touching on what we were saying last time in the Italian episode, now, you know, a year down the line, it's come out that 99% of people that died from COVID-19 actually had other illnesses. And the CDC recently said that out of the 150,000 deaths in Italy that were marked down as COVID, only 6% of them were actually COVID. So you, you put both of that together and then look back of when we were talking about Lombardy and Italy and the scaremongering and you think, oh my God, it's it's like night, night and day. Night and day. If they'd have reported it truthfully, it, it just would not have had the same effect. It, the same effect, it would have got no airtime. The public certainly would have been scared. That's well, and they wouldn't have been able to enforce the restrictions and the lockdowns and everything else because people would have been like, well, like, there would have been no first wave. No. I mean, this is about as deadly as the common cold. <laughs> Hang on. No, it is the common cold. Yeah. So talking of first waves, the first wave of deaths in the UK followed a very similar pattern to what we talked about in China and Italy. Patients, well, residents in care homes, all tested. And then there was loads of false positives, they all got moved from the care homes into the hospitals, and then suddenly the hospitals were overwhelmed. And then what was happening is that they were getting injected with a drug called midazolam, which is actually an end-of-life drug that was recommended as the treatment for COVID. Like if people got COVID, if they're having breathing troubles, put on a ventilator, which we all know if you don't need to go on a ventilator, that's lethal, or give them midazolam, which is actually an end-of-life drug, and he's going to sedate them and then kill them. And also, the effects from midazolam actually suppress your respiratory system. So the effects from that as a drug will, will be marked down as COVID. COVID, yeah. Like, why would you use a sedative to treat a respiratory illness? I mean, and, and, it's, and it's sort of come to light that actually that was to give the patients a good death. And that's how it was put when Matt Hancock was asked, do you have enough midazolam to give people a good death? And he said, oh, yes, yes. And it, and it comes to light that they bought two years worth in one go. So they had two years worth of midazolam plus whatever they had before, like the years worth before, of an end-of-life drug. And then by the time this first wave was over, it had all been dispensed with. Well, you know how it also came in as well? Is it also actually came in with the whole point of... They put out the DNRs, remember, for all the old people. The first thing they wanted to scare us with was the idea that the hospitals will be overwhelmed. We I mean, we've got an old elderly population anyway in the UK. So there's going to be too many people coming in. Anyone who's really old or who's very sick, we're going to send them out a DNR to their house. Not, not like a doctor according to a DNR. The family will then have to sign it and say, are you going to be all right if your elderly relative signs a DNR in case they get sick from this? and we have to put them on end-of-life care here or let them die because we can't take them to hospital. It's almost like it coincided, you know, at the same time. We'll use the mass DNR rollout, which is do not resuscitate, for in case anyone knows. Yeah, sedate people oh. with midazolam that they were also using sometimes in conjunction with morphine and then stopping their food and sort of fluids. This this had a name. This this used to be called the Leeds Pathway, mm, yeah. but then it was scrapped because they were basically looking at it and going, "That's euthanasia. euthanasia. That's illegal yeah. in Britain. You can't do that." So something that was illegal and banned, they were suddenly using as treatment for COVID, and it was literally just like a mass murder of old people. And that was the manufactured first wave. 
And as you said, it was a combo of do not resuscitate forms and pressurising the families. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine as well them saying, we need the space for beds. You know, this is just the first wave. Well, bear in mind. It's going to be young people soon. Bear in mind, you know, they only got 99% capacity. <laughs> yeah, right. There's only 1% of the beds left. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, exactly. They already know that, that the NHS is under strain. Their elderly relative is in there at the end of their life and they're being told, well, they might, you know, we might need these beds and it might be for much younger people. It's putting you in an awkward position where you're going to like, oh, right, okay, well, I better sign this DNR form because, you know, it's, for the greater good, it's the right well, thing it, to do. And it's really, they're very old. It's really ugly. It's playing on the weakness of humankind, isn't it? You know. Well, they think they're doing something noble. Noble, yeah. By saying, "Oh, I want to give. I don't want my elderly relative, who's probably only got a few years left. She's got dementia. You know, she still lives at home. We all love her dearly." Oh, I wouldn't want that bed to go to if it could go to a young person. Not that any young person's going to die from this. At that point, they don't know that. Yeah, that's the point. They're like being told there's going to be bodies in the streets. They're being told half a million Brits are going to die. So they're scared senseless. And they're thinking, right, what's the right thing to do here? It's playing on people's empathy and their goodness. And that is really the most disgusting part of it is that They've played people's better nature against themselves. Okay, you could say that people were naive, but that's not the biggest crime, is it? And Mm -hmm. when you're being hit like a sledgehammer with this 24-7 from the media, and all you've seen is the shocking scenes in China and Lombardy, what else are you going to think? Even I was scared of this initially. Like we said before, we'd seen what it was doing in China. We'd seen all the figures in Italy. It was scary, yeah. The unknown. We didn't know what was going to happen. It's the beauty of the media. They roll it out, grip you straight away. Think, oh, okay, well, this could happen. But that, that feeling did wear off for me quite quickly. I remember the moment for me was watching... When I watched David Icke on Brian Rose, which wasn't, it was only a matter of weeks after this broke, and he just called it out from very early on, almost day one, this is a scam, nothing makes sense. Yeah. After that point, I was like, well, I, I'd already felt fishy about it. Things weren't adding up for me, and I was starting to question it, and then that just cemented everything that I had felt. I was like, yeah, this stinks. Yeah. And from that point onwards, I just never looked back. But it's so crazy to think that nearly two years from that point onwards and there's people still even completely asleep or just about going, hang on, I think something's going on. I don't know what my moment was. Probably after watching a pandemic film when people were dropping down really seriously fucking ill and I thought, this doesn't look like a pandemic to me. (laughs) That was the thing. The fear subsided very quickly after this first wave. Okay, so this first wave happened, but with very elderly people in the care homes and then they kept saying that well in the care homes moved moved to the hospitals and then they kept saying that it's coming the next wave you know this is going to get really serious and it just never really happened did it it was just like they're moving the goalposts again and again and again promising that things were going to get really bad it's coming it's coming and it would die down then it'd be a new variant and then the cycle would start again and we're still in that cycle to this day well we are or the current news of the new virus, the Omicron, which we'll get onto a bit later. Omicron. Omicron. It sounds like a transformer. Oh, yeah. The anagram for moronic. So, yeah, it's, it's got to be something to fool the people with, isn't it? And that as well is an anagram of moronic. I think that's a coincidence. I don't think... I mean, there's people like, they're mocking us. I mean, I don't know about that. I, but I, I, I wouldn't put anything past them. 
Yonadazolam is even used in lethal injections or was used in lethal injections for prisoners for years in the US. Yeah, it was part of the sedative ingredient, wasn't it? Yeah. For putting them under. And as, as far as I know, it was... It was banned because there was lots of reports of people actually coughing and spluttering and being fully conscious. So in the end, they were like, this is too, you know, cruel. <laughs> but um, we'll, we'll go back to the electric chair. But, yeah, <laughs> but at the end of the day, you know, we're talking about a drug that's used in lethal injections. So when people are strapped to chairs and that's what they're saying. Like, Give us some of that. <laughs> when they got COVID. I mean, like, what? Uh, so this is the stuff we normally use to kill people with. That'll be fine. And the fact that two years worth was ordered and then has since been dispensed with and that's when it's added to the one year's worth that they already had. Okay, so you've used this drug, an unprecedented amount, a drug that you'd stockpiled and you're telling us that that's not got something to do with the first wave and plus these unprecedented DNR forms and putting people on ventilators when they shouldn't have been and crowding hospitals with people from old from care homes that shouldn't have been there. I mean, that is a manufactured first wave. With the, the fact that they mass-murdered old people. They put, like we said, a lot of people who were in care, safe in care, whose could have been fine until they tested a false positive. They yeah. then go to hospital and then they put on midazolam and they die. Or, or on a ventilator, then give them midazolam with other forms of treatment and then they die. And then weird things, they die of a respiratory illness. I don't think that was COVID they had somehow. Might have been that lady you stuck on their face. And the US have got a similar thing with a drug called remdesivir. I'm sure many other countries across the globe have got their version of this. Yeah. They're giving patients end-of-life drugs as treatment for something that they didn't need to be treated for to wipe them out, yeah. manufacture a first wave. And I'm sure that's been done all over the world. Hancock, of course, Matt, Matt Hancock, that was... Um, responsible for this was fired and was actually fired a long time after this like in june 2021 just as this scandal was breaking and medazolam and some hashtags like we need to talk about medazolam well, he, he was still the health secretary at the time so yeah, this right. was this, and this was trending on social media and these hashtags had gone viral and people were starting to say you know that he needs to be brought to justice and he needs to answer for why he ordered this Medazolam, because this was slowly getting out through healthcare workers and, and care home staff. You know, the, the stories had spread mm, through yeah. the alternative media. People were starting to ask about Medazolam. And then, bam, suddenly Matt Hancock has to resign. Not because of this, not oh. because of mass murdering old people, but because, oh, he's got caught on CCTV <laughs> having an affair and the footage has been leaked. Seemed like a nice bungee jump out of the situation, didn't it? Yeah, right. Like this titillating sort of like soap opera drama, like, oh, we got caught on CCTV having like a, a kiss and a grope. And it was with someone from his constituency, like someone he works with. That, and the best thing is what? And it's scandalous because he's got a wife. And not just that, he was breaking social distancing rules that he helped set. Oh, naughty boy. Oh, and it's like once... Not quite the same as mass murdering old people. Yeah, but once again, it's like they put it on the front page of the newspaper, not with the right caption, which should be, Matt Hancock orders amount of Medazlan to kill every old person in his country. Or rather, he's having a kiss with a woman in an office. It just changes the public perception of how you're meant to yeah. feel about him. You should be like... You fucking crook. You're out there poisoning and killing people. Or said, oh, you dirty dog, look at you having a fling. 
people w- were still calling out for him to be fired. Like, oh, this is outrageous. You know, he, he was he was having an affair. He was breaking the rules that he helped set. He has to stand down. Then then they fire him and he comes out, oh, I'm very sorry, I've let everyone down. And then people think they've won some kind of small victory. Yeah, oh, the politicians, there's one up them. He yeah. left He left office. Oh, we done it. Yeah, but missing out the detail, like, no, actually, this guy's like 100 times worse than Harold Shipman. And he's glad to be out of office because all he ever was was a fool guy for this whole thing. Yeah. I mean, where's Matt Hancock, Hancock now, anyone? Anyone? Matt Hancock? Last time I saw he was running the marathon. Shame someone wasn't there with a bullet. (laughs) Just as he crossed the finish line. (laughs) Just some medazolam. Well done, you pat him on the back. (laughs) (laughs) Whisper whisper sweetly in his ear. That was a grandma. But um, yeah, fire him over something that most people can sort of, you know, I'm sure people are outraged by it, but... You can imagine your average sun reader, that's a British tabloid for people that don't know, being like, oh, do you see he was copying off of that, that woman at work, dirty bastard? Yeah. <laughs> he got his comeuppance though, isn't he? Heard he's lost his job. <laughs> Not earning all that money now, is he? It's like you're missing the point, everyone. Yeah, because it's sort of something to, re- like, relatable, isn't it? It's a bit like, I mean, we go on to the latest scandal with, with Boris Johnson and number 10 Downing Street, they've thrown this Christmas, but it's come to light yet again, way after the event, when everyone else was locked down and people were banned from seeing their families and their friends and, and people having to say their Christmas greetings to grandma through like pane of glass. Well, you know, it's like that bad. They made it literally. pretty serious. I mean, the, yeah. you know, the people spending too. Christmas on their own, like really bad. And then whilst all that was happening, they were having a party at 10 Downing Street. Sherry and Miss Pies. Karaoke. Whoop, whoop. You can just picture them all like dancing on the tables or there's some poor person who can't have anyone around for Christmas because they told it broke social distancing. It's like people dying alone in their homes over Christmas, like old people like, I wish I could just see me family one more time. Whilst they're in 10 Downing Street, having it off. I mean, you can just... Probably do loads of gear. Yeah, smog reeds with his face in the mirror, hoovering <laughs> big rails. See Matt Hancock in the back fucking a brass. <laughs> you can just picture him having a debaucherous party. I'll probably at the taxpayers' expense as well, like with all our money. And then not only that, um, what happened about this deadly virus that was meant to be going around and we should all separate from? See, that's the main point, And this <laughs> is the thing. Yet again, the thing that people are up in arms about isn't the thing that they should be up in arms about. It's the same pattern. They're annoyed because they're like, how dare they? They broke the rules. And it's like, they broke the rules. So what, you're sticking up for the rules. Like, your outtake (laughs) should be, the rules clearly don't make any sense. And a year ago, when they had this party, and they had no masks on, no social distancing, they were literally having a fucking party, they clearly didn't see this as a threat. Therefore... It's not a threat because if the people that are making the rules are having a party and they're not doing any of this stupid crap, that tells you they don't. There's no. They don't see it as a threat threat. because, as well, why would they risk the prime minister's health or people in parliament? These are important people. People, More important than you or I. Yeah, they wouldn't be having a Christmas party if they were. They wouldn't risk it. No, God no. The same as like when you saw um, well, uh, the Prince, Prince George at, at the Euros final in yeah. the summer. Sixty thousand people there, and he's at the and he's at the football match. Why would they risk that? Seems a bit misguided. I mean, the future king of England, and he's in a stadium with sixty thousand people. Which, by the way, each and one of you could apparently transmit yeah. COVID. 
if it was deadly and that much of a risk, why would the, the future King of England be put at that kind of risk? 60,000 people. It's because there's no fucking risk, guys. Yeah. No there threat. is no threat. That's the outtake. Not, they broke the rules. You know, it's, it's, it's one rule for them and another rule for us. It's like, yeah, what does that tell you? These rules are supposed to be about health. So mm. if yeah. it was really about health, it would be universal. In the movie Contagion that we talked about in the previous episode, there was no special treatment for anyone. If this thing got you, it got, got you. Yeah. Everyone had to do the same things because if you didn't, you were gonna. Yeah. It's not these people are going to have a party and COVID's going to avoid them because they're <laughs> special and they're politicians, but because you're poor, COVID's going to get you. It's not a threat. And if it was, they would be down in the fucking basement like Biden. Or like Gates. Not having a party. Gates with your fucking barrel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so similar to how, like, the Hancock thing broke. Like, I always thought that was weird. Okay, it was like a leaked bit of CCTV footage showing him snogging and groping this woman up against the door. It looked staged and really weird and awkward. And also, like... It looked, uh, it looked like one of the worst kisses ever. It's Hancock. This yeah. guy is such a wet blanket, honestly. You, if you don't know what this guy looks like, look him up. Just type in Matt Hancock in Google. Yeah, this guy doesn't look like he's going to give you a good scene to. No, <laughs> no, he, he looks very timid yeah. and, and devoid of any pleasure-given ability. <laughs> yeah, and it was, okay, not only did it look staged, and obviously the timing of it coming out was perfect, like there's a real scandal involving Medazalan, which is really serious. Let's bring to forefront this soap opera-type scandal that we can just get him out of the picture with. Theatre, they, they run them with Just theatre, yeah. But also, when I looked at that, I thought, so this is CCTV footage from inside the Houses of Parliament. So who, who leaked it? What, the CCTV guy? It's so convenient. Like, this just got out. They don't say how, do they? No. They just say, oh, yeah, we've got this. Who from? And why now? Like many, many months down the line as well. You're like, why now? Why did it take this long? Who's it come from? How did this happen? It's the Houses of Parliament. I can't imagine CCTV footage from Houses of Parliament. Being easy could... to get out. I mean, this, I can imagine it'd be pretty hard to, to copy it or to get it out of Parliament. You'd have to be in a position of power that you could access the CCTV room. I mean, it'll be funny. If you were the CCTV officer at that moment watching Hancock kissing that girl if it wasn't staged everyone you'd probably be sitting there rubbing one off or at least having a point of laughing like look at you Hancock go you're rubbish mate maybe the maybe the uh, security guard watching the CCTV footage was pretty aroused by it and then thought oh I'll save that Took, took the VHS home <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he got leaked his wife leaked it <laughs> his wife found it dirty bastard hang on is that Hancock Derek, where'd you get this? Nowhere, nowhere. This is from the Commons. This is from my work. Oh, God. He's breaking social distancing rules there. <laughs> but yeah, in a similar way, it's like with this Christmas party thing. Okay, so it's taken like nearly a year for it to come out. Right, so you're telling me that no one knew about this. There was a party in 10 Downing Street with a lot of people there in Parliament and what they hadn't told anyone about it. This what hadn't leaked to the press. It took a year. year. It yeah. doesn't make any sense. It only makes sense unless they want it to leak. Yeah. You know, to cause uh, the same... Of course they do. And it's the same effect, isn't it? We said before, we will yeah. be, what were we angry, angry at Boris for? We'll be angry at Boris like, oh, look at them breaking the rules and stuff. Having a party, it's something that's so sort of, okay, yes, it's an absolute piss take. And I'm glad that hopefully it has backfired a bit and woken people up to the corruption and the lies and the hypocrisy of the whole thing. But... 
just like Hancock having an, an affair and getting caught on CCTV, having a grope isn't as bad as mass murdering old people. Yeah, locking down the whole country, causing suicides, domestic violence to go up, all those horrible yeah. things that went up. Keep moving the goalposts, pushing this crooked vaccine agenda, like, again, being complicit in genocide. It's hardly the same as having a Christmas party, is it? Yeah. But that's what they want people to focus on. And look how this broke. Oh, it was like a woman... Um, Alleg- Allegra Stratton. Stratton that's that's it. it, yeah. Yeah, and she was like the, a government spokesperson for the COP26 climate summit, pretty low down in the kind of political yeah, yeah, hierarchy. Yeah, but she wasn't like a big shoulder rubber. She's, she's there giving a talk. They ask her about the Christmas party and seem to really put her on the spot, and she seems very relaxed. The view I have watch, when watching it is she almost didn't know the cameras were rolling. Because they sort of ask her about it and she says, oh, I don't really know what to say. And the way she's leaning on the podium and stuff, it's like she doesn't really know that she's under assault, the cameras are rolling. She, she was set up, yeah. basically. Right, we're going to ask this person about the party. She's going to awkwardly avoid the question or be put so on the spot that it's kind of going to be exposed. And then at the same time, we're going to confirm the fact that, hey, look, there's this bit of footage with this woman laughing about it, looking guilty, and then also we can confirm, yes, there was a party. Then she resigns. She has some tearful goodbye on the TV, like, I'm very sorry, I let the nation down. And you kind of felt sorry for her. Well, I felt sorry for her in the fact that she's saying, I let the nation down. It's like, well, maybe you did personally a little bit, but you're in a big boat with a lot of people in that boat together. Yeah. Like you and should, you've you just been be chucked under the bus. Bus, yeah, basically. They've set you up like a kipper. They knew that you were going to stumble, mumble, bum your way through it and blab about the party. Then they were like, right, gotcha. They put that out with the news that, yeah, there was a party and you're just the person they chose just to chuck under the bus. And, and we said, like, I mean, like she's pretty disposable. I mean, one, she's yeah. a low-level politician. Secondly, she's a woman. I mean, it was it's easier to almost make us as a public almost feel sorry for a woman because of the emotional breakdown of losing her job and being kicked out of office. She was young too. Young, yeah. Yeah, and you've got to look at okay, so what else is going on at this time that they could be using this as a distraction for? And there's a lot of things going on at this time. I mean, you've got the Maxwell trial going on, which the mainstream media has just completely ignored. I mean, we're talking about Jeffrey Epstein and his little black book, which had some of the world's most important, powerful people on there, probably as paedophile, that could be linked to a paedophile ring. I mean, this is explosive. This is so huge, just not on the news. Well, it's not covered at all. This is how the media has been used during this pandemic to control people because it's just, we feed you crap. Just that's not being mentioned. Not, that's not important. And then there's stuff that's really significantly important to, to what's going yeah. on and we're not being told about it. And then closer to home, you've got this new policing bill that's being put forward by the government and Pretty Patel saying that, Not that pretty. peaceful protests <laughs> and marches are basically going to be a thing of the past because they're going to pass this bill that's going to make them illegal and they're going to be able to chuck protesters in jail. They're going to be able to chuck organisers in jail for up to 10 years. For protesting. I see that. Doesn't serve us very well, mate. I mean, are we still going to go along with the banners, you know? (laughs) Well, yeah, I would, but... They're going to make it harder and tougher for you. I mean, if you could get arrested... Yeah, I mean, on one hand, you say... You sort of think, well, how are you going to arrest 100,000 of us? But the point is, 
if this bill passes, they can just come in and just snatch someone they don't like the look of. Look off, yeah. And then next thing you know, you're not uh, just getting a caution or something like that. You're actually getting chucked in jail indefinitely. You don't even know how long for. They're like, well, under this new sentencing bill, we can we can obtain you and for, yeah. for however long we think necessary. I mean, this is like Nazi Germany, yeah, literally. It's, it's like now protesters, which is within well within our sovereign right to protest, especially if a tyrannical government is trying to... Yeah, it's one of the most basic give. rights that there is, along with freedom of speech. The right to protest yeah. is yeah. up there. If you If you don't have that, how can you say, really, that you live in a free and democratic society? You can't. You can't. Kill the bill! So I've actually got an extract here regarding this bill that they're trying to pass through at the moment. And it says, Peaceful protests and marches could become a thing of the past under the controversial police crime sentencing and courts bill making its way through Parliament, as being too noisy or causing too much annoyance would be grounds to shut them down. Well, it wouldn't be a protest with a bout of annoyance, a <laughs> bit of annoyance about it, would it? That's the point of a protest. Just to be loud and noisy and to make yourself heard. Similar to when we were talking about in the social media episode where we were saying, well, what defines harmful? Or on what grounds can you say that this is misinformation? Like, mm-hmm. You know, we submit as vague as being too noisy or, or causing too much annoyance. Annoyance. I mean... That, that's every protest ever you've just described there. I can't think of one protest that probably hasn't caused some annoyance. If there has been silent protests before, which are actually really powerful, where everyone in unison walks around, yeah. but in complete silence. Yeah, but that would annoy me. Because <laughs> then there's no one talking, and I think it's too weird. So I could, I'd be sitting there like, could someone just say something, please? Because this protest is really wigging me out. Right, there you go, causing too much annoyance. Yeah. Tick, tick that box. Super. <laughs> These people, they're, they're too quiet. It's annoying. What do they think this is, a library? <laughs> It then goes on to say, after being the subject of kill the bill protests earlier in the year, the bill is returning to Parliament this week with its third reading in the House of Lords. I mean, how much do they want to pass this bill? The fact that it's third time. Third it's time. back for the third time. Hi, we're back again. You thought it was appalling the first time. The second time, you thought it was a complete rape <laughs> of everything that we stood for, our freedom and democracy. But it's back. It's back again for it's the third time. <laughs> with a giant tub of Vaseline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just... It's mental, like they really want to pass this thing. And it says here the police crime sentencing and courts bill has been condemned as draconian, no shit, by ex- <laughs> by experts. Oh, okay. Uh, there they are again. Across the political spectrum, it will effectively hand powers to police and Home Secretary Pretty Patel to shut down protests in England and Wales at will, while forcing social workers to betray the trust vulnerable young people. Lawyers warned the proposals in the bill clearly violate international human rights standards. I mean, yeah. They do. I think so. <laughs> so why is it back for a third time? Back for a third time! Ridiculous, man. <laughs> More than 30,000 people have already written directly to Boris Johnson, calling him to rethink the whole thing. 30,000 people. Yeah, so the bill... The 307-page bill also, (laughs) it's a long one, also threatens to criminalise gypsy and traveller groups if they pitch up on private land, despite an already significant shortfall in official sites available to them in the UK. It's just like going after that group during this time as well. 
Yeah, put uh, going after gypsies and travellers as well because I mean, they're outside the system and we want to nail them hard. Yeah, it, it's kind of weird to think in a time of pandemic where we're meant to be helping each other and caring for each other and trying to make more inclusive that we want to start hammering out these measures and especially to the people in society who are on the fringes or the most, most vulnerable. Yeah. I mean, it was the same with the rush sleepers, wasn't it? They were like going to be put... Oh, they're in this bill as well. Yeah. It's like attacking the homeless. Like the most vulnerable people in our society at the moment with everything that's going on. It's like, you'd think that's a good idea. It just reminds me of like the indigenous people in Australia that they're now taking out from the middle of bloody nowhere where they're not harming anyone. They've probably never even heard of COVID. They're like, I don't have a TV. Yeah, they're, so far, <laughs> they're so far removed from the mainland, yeah. the main Australian population. And they're actually taking them from where they are, perfectly happy, and putting them in quarantine camps. Some of those videos are pretty rough as well because... Yeah, you see you bunging them in vans and there's people filming it like, there's an Australian elder! Could, could you imagine them doing that down Oxford Street at night? They just turn up with a van and just like dragging the homeless people out of the poor doorways yeah. of all those really big shops. I mean, it'd be... Clean up. Clean up. <laughs> Operation clean up. You'd be disgusted. You'd be like, leave me alone. You'd, be, you'd feel terrible. Well, that's they... what they were doing in China during the Olympics. When I went over to China, they, they were telling me, oh, they were just going round in vans, just rounding up all the homeless and just driving them somewhere else and dumping them. You know what I mean? Like somewhere way out of the city. Like, hmm, we don't want them to think that we've got a homeless problem well we could just round them up and just go and dump them somewhere here there's a nice cliff round the corner <laughs> could always drive off of that yes somewhere in the wilderness <laughs> I don't know yeah, far away far away <laughs> as far away as you can <laughs> like you said with the homeless as well like the same police powers put rough sleepers and people without a home at risk of a criminal record if they were caught bedding down or sleeping in cars or on private land so really to me this is just like we spoke about in the previous episode, like of them you know, setting up a, a technocratic, well, really like communistic setup. It's like they don't want anyone to be able to escape this. Gypsies, travellers, homeless. Yeah. Like they want everyone under state control, state housing, dependency on the state. If you're a gypsy, you, you're, you're outside of society. You're not dependent on the state. No. You know what I mean? You, you, you're completely outside the system, really. The same as if you're homeless. That's true. Although homeless people, what what threat are they? They, they, It's not like they have any power, but still, they're outside of the system and they don't want anyone outside of the system. Even people sleeping in their cars. I mean, it's like, give people a fucking break. If you're sleeping in your car... In a way, you're rock bottom. In you're your having, you know, do you know what I mean? Like, like, the last thing you need to do is someone like do 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 on the door. That that's illegal, mate. And yeah. you're like, come on, man. <laughs> it's like where the fuck has compassion gone in society? The compassion's just gone. I mean, how would you feel if you learned this? These were the sort of things that are going to get passed in this bill. I mean, how would you as a human forget about whether you're British, American, wherever you're listening from, or whoever you are? Just how would you feel? This doesn't feel right. Why would you... To treat humans like that. If someone's sleeping in their car, give them a fucking break, man. Or even on the street. I mean, if someone's homeless, how bad... Move along. How bad do you, do you want to make that yeah. person's life than it is already? I mean, yeah, like, do you remember seeing these reports of when they were making it illegal in America to feed homeless people? Yeah, I remember. Disgusting. That's just disgusting. It's like the benches they build. I forget where they built the benches, but they did it somewhere in the UK, and they built them with that middle bit on them so yeah. that homeless people couldn't sleep on the benches. And I was like, 
So you'd done that specifically so yeah. someone couldn't sleep on it. It's like a it's like a special kind of evil. Yeah. Isn't it? It's a real heartless, cold, yeah. Donald Sutherland, glassy-eyed <laughs> evil. And like they have these special kind of these special flaws that at a certain time of night, like spikes will... Oh, yeah, that would raise up. Raise up. So they can't... Just, like, I don't think you can sleep there at night. I mean, unless you want to sleep on a bed of spikes. <laughs> I mean, how evil is that? Like, you could sleep here. It's not the best sleeping spot. It's in a doorway, but, you know, you don't have many options. But, no, we're going to we're gonna put spikes there. You go to the bench, that's got a down get our floor, that's got spikes. You're like looking around, this bit's like vax people only. Like, oh, fuck. No. Where are they going to go? I'll just sleep standing up. <laughs> that's now illegal. Kill myself? Right this way, sir. Right. Euthanasia, end of life clinic. <laughs> I don't really have any paperwork and stuff. That's not a problem here. Step inside. <laughs> So it says here, the bill would allow police to crack down on protesters if their action caused serious annoyance, in inverted commas, to the surrounding community, organisation and businesses. This is just one element of the new policing bill, which critics have said is too vague, allowing the government to interpret it differently on a case-by-case basis. Well, that is the idea. (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah, make it vague so you can do that. The new legislation also makes it easier to convict people for flouting the conditions placed on a protest. Flouting? Then the next point is about the criminalisation of the organisers, and things get a bit more serious there. The police can enforce start and finish times on a protest. Wow. Could you imagine them all at the start line at like 9am? Can't blow your whistles yet, can't make any noise yet. Tick, tick, right, go. Yeah, as well as maximum noise levels. Well, there's a guy there with a decibel counter in the crowd and he's standing next to the drum guy and like, mate, could you just beat that a little bit? Not not, not that much quieter, yeah. just a little bit. When quiet. do we want it? Ow. Ow. <laughs> it's so stupid. The bill does not define serious disruption in this case, nor explain how a court should interpret it. So that's handy. <laughs> Um, If someone behind a protest is deemed a public nuisance intentionally or recklessly and causes serious annoyance, serious inconvenience or serious loss of amenity for someone in the community, they could face a jail sentence of up to 10 years. And that also goes for the organisers as well. They're really cracking down on. So it's like, well, you can go to a protest, but if you're one of the organisers, you could have a really lengthy jail sentence. Crikey. So 10 years. I mean, that's years. more than some, like, kiddie fiddler will get. 10 years for rolling up the road with a megaphone. When yeah. Protesting for human rights. Bang him up with a rapist. Can you imagine that? While you're sitting there in prison for 10 years, Jimmy Savile's out doing all sorts of unspeakable things and getting away with it. it, it this is what I think. Jimmy Savile. <laughs> He's long gone, mate. Well, I'm just saying, he knows, like, characters. I'm saying it's a horrible attack on freedom and democracy when we could actually extend in the jail sentences for people that molest children or people that lie in the police force or, or technocratic billionaires that avoid paying millions in tax. Billions. We, billions. We, Trillions. We, we could actually uh, maybe extend those laws a little bit. I don't think there's anything wrong with a group of people protesting their free rights, making a little bit of noise. I mean, like we said, has there ever been a quiet protest? Probably has, but it probably wasn't that much fun. (laughs) It also goes on to say the new policing bill further cracks down on peaceful protesters that gather in Westminster. So they want to ban people actually going to Town Street or going to outside the Houses of Parliament. You know, like they don't 
because because that's been something that's happened quite often in the last two years since this kicked off. People have actually been going. Well, we have. Out. Yeah, we've like been there, haven't we? Yeah, I was. People were throwing all the tennis balls in at the one yeah, that they, we were at because of because um, it was Wimbledon. Yeah, I remember. Smoked a fat one outside the gates. <sighs> Certainly did. Honourable moment for me there. I enjoyed that split. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it, I get that. I mean, they don't want people coming around the most powerful areas because they want to, that's the power. They flex. So we don't come protest here. How go if you're protesting London Fields or somewhere yeah, where right. no one's going to care? But we don't want you anywhere near us because, quite frankly, if you do, it does affect us. Yeah. On top of that, there's there's heftier prison sentences for assaults on emergency service workers or police, and you've got um, new powers that will allow new stop and search activities by police, just based on if someone is suspicious or whatever. So basically, they can just they can stop and search you for no bloody reason. So if you combine all of this together, this is draconian. Like this is Orwellian shit. Like. New stop and search rules where they can just stop anyone they like, making protests illegal based on noise and how much of an annoyance they are, giving protesters and organisers prison sentences, and in the case of organisers, hefty ones, and then targeting the most vulnerable people, the the most vulnerable outsiders in our society, like gypsies, travellers, the homeless... What the hell are they thinking with this D- during this time as well? I mean, this is some Orwellian shit that they're trying to pass under the radar, and that's why they're trying to get you to focus on the Boris Christmas party, the 10 Downing Street Christmas party, which, let's face it, compared to what we've just read out there, is nothing. No, absolutely. Absolutely nothing. And, it, and if you're annoyed that they broke the rules, you need to take a look in the mirror because you're sticking up for the rules, yeah. the rules that are actually there to enslave you. That's what you're sticking up for. I know, people are barely nibbling at the corner of the cake here. <laughs> so something you brought up earlier that happened quite early on was the building of the Nightingale Emergency Hospital, which I, I didn't think that was that early on in the pandemic. Well, it was, over, it, it was over the Christmas. They put it up over the time for Christmas, didn't they? Because they expected it to get jam-packed over the new year yeah, right. and whatnot with pay- hundreds of thousands, well, thousands of patients. Yeah, so really it's just like taking a leaf out of China's book. Well, with the construction of the two massive hospitals that they yeah. built, yeah. It obviously wasn't as over the top as China, but it's like <laughs> the same blueprint, like a big hoo-ha when it was built, used to scare the crap out of everyone well, it, it, and then knew- closed after seeing a tiny number of people. Well, you knew what it was. I mean, it was on... The news, it was on the radio, yeah. Nightingale, Nightingale Hospital. I mean, we all know who Nightingale is, don't we? You know, the famous nurse. So. Yeah, right, exactly. And then, again, that was another sort of wartime reference. Like Something that was happening in the UK is that they were continually trying to summon the spirit of the of the Blitz and the yeah, war. Put people on, like, war fatigue. Like, this is, this is going to hit us so hard. People are going to die. You're going to be ready. War footing, everyone. Yeah, yeah. and... The, the language that they were using was like doctors and nurses on the front line and war zone hospitals. Yeah. Everything was about war and about trying to summon the spirit of the Blitz. Like, we're all in this together. It's for the greater good. Wear your mask. And obviously later down the line, get the vax. And it was all like, well, you know, we're in this together. Save our NHS. And even the calling this emergency hospital, like the Nightingale. Like it's just, it's all trying to 
stir up these emotions. Again, it's about manipulating the good in people. Yeah, turn it on its head. Because you as a human will start to make your own little sacrifices to think you're helping. Yeah, for the greater but, good. But, and... but these sacrifices you make can ultimately make a problem in your life. You well, know. they're ultimately going to enslave you. Exactly. And the people that are pushing this, they don't care about you. They're lying to you. They're manipulating you for their own ends, for a sinister agenda, not to help you or to protect you. And the reason that they're using all this language is to trick you into thinking that you're part of something that is that is good and true and just and by doing your bit i mean that's another thing they say you know doing your bits and stuff like that but that's that's just another bit of wartime language you know doing your bit so like the wartime effort wasn't just the soldiers that are in battle was it it was like the people back home like everyone was doing their bit like the women that were filling in on the men's job and working in the factories or everyone back home was kind of playing their part as well and doing their bit and everything in Britain has ju- just been about trying to trying to kind of unearth all these feelings in people and, and make them kind of sign up to the COVID cult by thinking that they're they're kind of doing something like good and noble and, you know, quite British in well, our case. Well, in a way, you think you're doing your bit, but you're actually adding to the problem if yeah. you're wearing a mask or if you're socially distancing, or if you're not going to see your loved ones who are very poorly just because you're told you're not to and you've got to stay in your bubble. Yeah, your your you compliance know. is prolonging this whole nightmare. It's feeding it, not the opposite that you're being told. The irony of the whole thing as well is the people that really do have the true spirit of the Blitz are the defiant ones. That's true. They're the ones that are standing up to authority, standing up to impossible odds and saying, no, I'm not moving that was the spirit of the Blitz. The spirit of the Blitz was people in London, despite being bombed, saying, I'm not leaving my home. You know, Hitler had a choice between bombing the city of London or bombing our air bases. If he'd have bombed the air bases, he might have won the war because we won the war against the Nazis in the air. But he wanted to break the spirit. Without spitfires. But he wanted to break the human spirit, didn't he? Yeah, and he thought, right, that's how I do it. But someone as evil as Hitler, he can't factor into his plan the human spirit. He's going to think, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll bomb them. They'll crack, you know. They, yeah, yeah, that'll break them. They'll stop back in the war effort and I'll, and I'll oh. win. Not thinking that a miracle was going to take place and people would actually say, you know what, despite this, I'm not even leaving my home. I'm not even going to flee London. Yeah. Not only am I back in the war effort, I'm not leaving. I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, there were, there were people sort of who were having their houses destroyed every night, but they'd still come out of the bunkers and they'd still go somewhere and have a cup of tea in the street amongst, yes, amongst like the Like London's my home and I'm not fleeing. It's almost like they, he, they didn't even care that, that what he did. It, it was actually quite incredible that it, it's he, a miracle. He went to F, that sort of effort That's what it and is. only for the people just to sit their middle fingers up and be like, do it. Yeah. And know. evil people can't factor in miracles. They can't factor in the human spirit because they don't have one. And, that, and that's how they fail every time. And the maniacs behind this whole COVID agenda, the psychopaths behind this, they have made the same mistake again because what they haven't realised is that by doing something so blatantly as they have, they've triggered a mass awakening of people and they've triggered the real spirit of the Blitz within people in the UK that are like, I'll never go along with this agenda. You can't bribe me, you can't intimidate me, you can't coerce me, you can't bully me, you can't 
move me from this point that Drop I'm Drop a bomb at. on my house. You won't with me. You know, it's true. That's what, yeah, they, they just can't, they can't ever factor that in. Because it's soulless. It's soulless. So going back to the emergency hospital, the Nightingale. So in Britain, the government and media told the public that the NHS, the National Health Service, has been overwhelmed to the point of breaking. We're a breaking point. <laughs> due to the high number of COVID cases. So they've had to build these temporary hospitals to ease the pressure, just like in China, yeah. just like in Lombardy. Mm -hmm. But this, this article shows that emergency hospitals received few, if any, patients. So it was far from being any kind of crisis. Well, you know, I know the, the London mayor at the time was City Calm because of the London mayor's changing now, has, hasn't it? And he put sort of his full backing behind all the small businesses to close and only big corporations or like Tesco were allowed to keep their shops open and stuff. It, it, there was a lot of sort of stuff that was cruelly wrong about it, especially in terms of like the media and all the sciences have been backed up by it because remember a lot of this stuff, like the predictions, especially in terms of Nightingale, predictions that it, it would need this many beds because there was going to be this many patients in there. But like a lot of things that are spewed to us from, through the media, it wasn't the case. I know. Creating and equipping these seven Nightingale, because th there were seven of these, right, across the UK. So the cost for them seven was 220 million. And here's a, just a breakdown of them seven facilities. So the NHS Nightingale Hospital in London announced March the 24th Opened April 3rd by Prince Charles. Oh, yeah, I remember that. Closed May 15th after treating just 54 patients. Okay? <laughs> Bear in mind how desperate they would be to get people We're in this breaking place. point in here! We've only got 54 patients. So health bosses are in the process of stripping the London Nightingale of its 4,000 beds, ventilators, and all the rest of it. NHS... Nightingale Hospital in Birmingham, announced March 27th, opened April 16th, opened by Prince William. <laughs> I sent my son to do this one. Doing the rounds. William, you do this one. But daddy. And that went down May the 5th, and that one had not seen a single patient. <laughs> so the, not one. the Birmingham Nightingale hadn't seen a single COVID patient. Yeah, it had 496 beds, which could rapidly increase to 800. Didn't see one. <laughs> it was, it would cost a lot of money. Not even one. <laughs> Imagine if you were just the one person, you're like, interesting pandemic. Yeah, and that, that hospital. Is this the Truman Show? I was going to say, that hospital was at the cost of another 86 million to the tax, taxpayers' money, mm. the one in Birmingham. So, hmm, 86 plus 220. So what's that, 300 million now? You've got the one in... The NHS Nightingale Hospital Northwest announced March 27th, opened April 17th by the Duchess of Cornwall. I love how they're all open. Like, <laughs> I, said, the ribbon. I said, wifey, to do this one. <laughs> <laughs> that closed June the 5th after treating, wait for it, zero patients. <gasps> really? <laughs> Into a top answer. <laughs> We're breaking point in here. <laughs> right, okay, then you've got the Nightingale Hospital in Yorkshire announced April 3rd, opened April 21st by Captain Tom Moore. Oh, do you remember Tom Who's Moore? Who's that? 
Yeah, he's the guy who was doing the walk up and down his care home garden with his Zimmer frame. And he'd been doing oh, it all his life. Tell, tell, tell people he, about he, this, He'd been please. doing it all his life. Like, and I used to work in care, so God love this man. Captain, I think he died. Yeah, I think he died. But God bless him. You know, he was doing the walk up and down his care home garden until somehow someone got involved and said to him, he was just doing a bit of exercise, and they said, oh, like, you should do that for charity because... For the COVID charity, because you go up and down your garden and show your fitness and your your fighting health and your strength, and because you're so old. I mean, it was a lovely case to use, but completely disgusting the way this poor old gentleman's probably just enjoying his retirement, and now a yuppie like, media band have come in like, you know what you should do? You should be part of our sort of whole help the NHS movement. Sir Captain, okay, Captain so they latched on. We latched on to him. You're going to come speak for us because you, uh, you know, you fought in the second. I remember World this War, guy now. Yeah, yeah. Second World War, you know. And what better way to represent health and the way we feel about health and old people, which you know, UK doesn't give a fuck about. But what a great representation of us using you to be part okay. of our campaign. So, so Captain Tom Moore was basically uh, OAP. He was an old war vet. He was walking up and down his garden. The media latched onto this and made him do it as like a sponsored walk for COVID. Yeah, they, yeah. And then he shot to fame. And he'd always, What's he doing now? He died. Oh. I know. COVID? No, thank God. Omicron. Oh. All right, Pete, Tom. Um, right, sorry. So that one, April 27th, opened by legendary Captain Tom Moore, then shut on the June the 4th after treating zero patients. And you've got the NHS Nightingale Hospital Northeast, announced April 10th, open May 5th by Matt Hancock. Prick. Well, do you think people were like there, like seeing Hancock cut the ribbon? Oh, look, Matt Hancock's going down there. Wouldn't mind seeing him. Nah, he was probably just turning up with a van full of medazolam to run it in the back of the hospital when he was done with the ribbon. See how it's getting worse as well. It went from Charles to William, then the Duchess, then Captain Tom Moore, who's just some fucking old guy that they've like roped in to to promote the COVID agenda. He's like, yeah, he's a war vet, get him in. And then... Matt Hancock. Matt Hancock's even below Captain Moore. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Captain Tom Moore's at the top out of all of them. War vet, man. We've got to give it to him. So the one in hospital northeast, that went down after treating zero patients. I mean, this is getting a bit boring. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I mean, I hadn't actually looked. Like, I knew they were seriously low, but, but I all, didn't know so many were zero. This it, it's a fucking joke. It's ridiculous. They're all zero. I mean, there's even one after here, Bristol. Again, Matt Hancock. They got him in again. <laughs> That's another zero. What? <laughs> what can you say about this? The fact is that they didn't never need these in the first place because it's not a pan. It's just what China did. Yeah, it's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. Yeah, same blueprint. All these hospitals, all these million pounds that were spent. And it's like zero patients, zero patients. Yeah. yeah. Oh, for the wave that never came. Right. The wave that was based on the predictions from Neil Ferguson, who we know is a complete crook and got it so wrong with swine flu. And it's just computer generated nonsense. Why was that listened to? It's, it's so clear that it's all just theatre. Yeah. The hospital's being built, the Boris Christmas party, the Matt Hancock snog caught on CCTV. Well, it's EastEnders, so well, drama. Even Boris's talk at the beginning of the pandemic. The bodies piled high in the streets. Going, we are going to lose loved ones. Yes, of course we are, because yeah. you and Hancock are going to be putting Madazzle in them. So, yeah, we are going to lose loved ones, yeah, but right. not because of... 
COVID-19 yeah. because of what you're going to do to them. One minute he's saying that there's going to be bodies piled high in the street and then you find out a matter of months later he's having a Christmas party. He wouldn't have said that. If, if you're not getting it by now, <laughs> yeah. I don't really know what to say. So, yeah. Like, not only are they lying, they don't and have never seen this as a threat. They know it's bollocks. People have been subjected to the most hardcore, like, mind control, brainwashing, 24-7 bombardment of fear and scaremongering ever known mm. in humankind. The perfect psyop. 24-7 now, because you've got it on your phone, you've got it everywhere. Yeah. No one has been through what we've all been through in the last two years, ever. So it's, again, like a miracle, like what, what we're talking about with, with what happened in the Blitz, that people Have are that. still awake. Yeah. They, they've sussed this, despite all of that, despite them spending... Like 300 million on an advertising campaign for the virus that I mean hundreds of millions on a PR campaign telling you this thing is real and it's to be feared and people are still breaking out the matrix and going I don't believe you despite the news the adverts every TV show they're pump, getting it in there somehow every talk show yeah, yeah. Any the way, papers any way the, to make you believe a little bit and there's still Millions, millions of people, people, not just in this country, across the world, that have sussed this. And it's like, congrats to anyone and yeah. everyone listening to that has sussed this was a scam from early on, or even if you're new to looking into yeah, this. Because you, know, it, you have to be sharp. You have to, be, yeah. you have to see this one coming. Yeah. You have and, to be sharper than sharp. And anyone that has gone along with this whole thing and worn a mask and got tested and jabbed or double jabbed or whatever else... You know, I feel like I can speak for everyone that is part of this resistance that we would welcome them people with open arms. Oh, of course we would. We wouldn't discriminate. If someone has been jabbed, oh, you were George jabbed, you, you fell for it, you can't join us. No, no, no. Everyone is welcome. We need as many people on board as possible to bring this thing to a standstill because this is serious. Yeah. It doesn't matter if you're jabbed, double jabbed, got your booster, whatever. Everyone has got their line in the sand. And when people realise this is not going to end, this is tyranny, it's a sinister agenda, the people that have been trying to tell you this, they're not conspiracy theorists. They're just your friends. They're just looking out for you. They put everything on the line to get this message to you for a reason. It's true. So after the outrageous predictions from Neil Ferguson and the first wave that we talked about that was... The old people being moved from the care homes into the hospitals. And then first wave, it's like Mark on his metaverse fucking surfboard, isn't it? <laughs> right in the first wave. <laughs> and then suddenly the draconian lockdowns come in and everyone was pumped full of enough fear to obey it. You know, the blueprint from China had already been set and we just followed. But when we look at what the lockdowns, you know, what, what do the lockdowns actually achieve? There's been no proof that lockdowns have actually made any difference on the figures like countries that didn't do that no, basically no. have the same results no in fact well, that's the weirdest thing with where was it in Europe that was it Sweden that yeah Sweden yeah it was they didn't Scandi. have like lockdowns initially yeah. and, and it was just like the same outcome yeah it was up in Scandi yeah, in Scandinavia. I'm pretty sure it's Sweden yeah yeah I mean like you said when they've never come out and told us how much these lockdowns have helped because quite frankly on what we were shown over that period they they didn't look like they helped at all in fact they actually looked counterproductive in terms of the sort of problems that, that they were actually causing yeah. not what they were preventing the sort of problems that they were well the causing. isolation for one i mean my my nan died during lockdown and 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 i really feel like my nan died of lockdown because she was in a 
she wasn't in a care home. She was like in a assisted care home where she had like her own uh, flat and there was other residents there and she, she ate with them all in a, um, you know, like a communal room and played cards and things like that. And there was like an outdoor area. But when COVID hit, she was banned from going outside. She couldn't go in the communal area. She couldn't see other residents. She was like a prisoner. Mm. My mum couldn't go and see her. She was literally getting meals like delivered to her room. I mean, they might have might as well have been sliding it under the door. <laughs> tap, tap, tap. Yeah. It was like she was not only in prison, but in solitary confinement. And you've got to realise as well, that's the worst punishment that we give to prisoners. Yeah, it is. Well, that's the worst. Well, we right, put we them in solitary. Take away human interaction with them so they've only got their mind and the mind can lead you yeah. into deep, dangerous places if left on yeah. the side with no other... And that's what we did to old people. And my nan... She wasn't in the best of health. That's why she was where she was. But she aged 10 years in that one year. Yeah. And then she ended up passing away. And one of the only times that I did see her during that period where we managed to get her away from there, when the restrictions had been eased a little bit, she broke down in tears and said, I felt like I was in prison and I don't want to go back. And it was really horrible to watch and and then yeah she 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 passed away during that first year of lockdowns and i really put that down to the mental stress that she was put under and isolation of herself yeah yeah. it just you know finished her off and and then obviously you've got mental health issues like how many people that have got mental health issues are just going to be pushed over the edge with this i mean i've got a a friend james you know his anxiety went it's gone through the roof since yeah, right. all this stuff has come out. Like people don't, it's not people's fault that some people are built stronger or weaker than others. But what is unforgivable is the way that this has been used against people who find this harder to deal with. You know what I mean? That's that's really wrong because you're making people already a bit fragile and already have trouble dealing with certain things. To then shove this in their face and telling them they're in danger, they've got to start social distancing, people who have mental issues or who already got enough, not even that, just have got a lot going on in their life. And then you stop filling their plate with this stuff. It's just going to create more stress. And then obviously you're stopping people communicating with each other. You're, You're stopping any kind of gathering in large crowds, and protesting, well, like, as well as taking people's livelihoods That's away. straight out of Orwell 1984, isn't it? You know, yeah. you break down people's communication, stop them from speaking with each other, and you just turn them into mindless servants. And then, obviously, at first, they said, well, don't worry, you can work from home, and we're going to pay people furlough, they called it in the oh, UK, yeah. which was just like, money from the government, it's not going to be your full wage, but... You won't have to work. And a lot of people jumped at that. They thought that was a great idea. Oh, wow. This will pass soon. And, and I, in the meantime, I get to work from home or not work or at all, sit, rather. Sit and play and get called a hero for doing it and still get paid a load of money. And I'm saving a load of money because I'm not traveling. I'm not having expensive lunches. I'm not like I had friends of mine that were saying, oh, yeah, I'm actually better off. Given all the other expenses I've just talked about, I'm actually saving money. And I'm not even having to work. They're having a great time. But the problem was, is what did furlough do? By taking out all that money, government won't start paying people for furlough. That started emptying the coffers, isn't it? They've done it on purpose. Oh, the government never gives money out for free, free, does it? No. Oh, we'll support you in this terrible time. We'll, we'll hold you up. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, unfortunately, guys, now, um, we have no money. Uh, the price of food's gone up. 
And the recession that we've actually put ourselves into by having the pandemic, we've you you now have to work us out of it. Yeah, and also as well, they weren't they were supporting workers, they were putting them on furlough, but they weren't supporting employers. So I mean the corporations were fine. Oh yeah, they, of course they can survive something like this. They can profiteer massively from oh, this, yeah, which they, they make money to. <laughs> but the small to medium-sized businesses, they're put under all this strain. They've got staff on furlough, and you know some of my friends, they were loving furlough, but then when it ended, they didn't have a job to go back to. Oh. And then suddenly they were like, "Oh right," like it was a big shock to them. But you felt the same. Well, what did you think was going to happen? Your employers were out of money. Yeah. He's had to cut a wage bill. He's had to smallen his team. Furlough is basically just a loop to make it easier for the government to fuck you over time. <laughs> like nothing's free. Like when was the last time that you heard of any government giving money out for free, wanting nothing in return? Never. And what was that that quote from the um, social media episode we did? Like, if it's free, then you, you are, are the product. product. <laughs> That's what this is. It's like furlough is to firstly make people agree to it because they think, oh, wow, you know, it's too good to be true. Money for staying at home, like I'm praised as being a hero, not realising that over time they won't have a job to go back to. But that doesn't matter because by that time they'll be so conditioned to getting paid by the state that they'll accept the basic income wage and credit score system, no problem. Yeah, it's exactly what we talked like, about. They're welcoming, in fact. They demand it. This, this is what we said, like in the yeah. Chinese democracy episode, that yeah. this is the blueprint that we've got from them. They're going to make you mentally dependent on the state. I mean, you seem to enjoy they get furlough. get used to it. Yeah. yeah, get used to it. You enjoy furlough. Well, what if we're going to put in a social credit score system that might support yeah. you? They're like weaning people onto it. And then, and then once millions of people are unemployed, bearing in mind the powers that be know that AI over time is going to, do this anyway. It's yeah. going to take so many millions of jobs. But no, they're getting you prepared for it earlier so that when there is mass unemployment because of the pandemic, it's like problem, reaction, solution. Like you'll demand this. So when they say, oh, look, we're going to solve the problem with a basic income wage and a credit score system, oh, yeah. you will welcome it with open oh, arms. Yeah, P people, want, there'll be no outrage. It'll be like the same with furlough. People well, will be like the saviour. Yeah. yeah, they will welcome it. The saviour will be the thing that they wanted all along, which is just a system to completely control you. It's not it's not saving you. They they put you in this position of dependency to then control you. You know, like, I remember seeing this like awful clip on the news of like this old man at the supermarket saying, Yeah, it's not the same since people have been wearing the masks. Like I only came here for the smiles. Yeah, I remember that. It's like so awful, like the isolation that these lockdowns were causing like it's supposed to be about saving the old like it's all about old people but like what at what point did we ask them what they wanted did they really want to spend the last years of their life living the way that they've been living in fear of covid which let's face it is pretty low down on the list of things that if you're that, that old, old that you've probably got I mean, that you've you, got to worry about or that, yeah like, I mean, like you said you already have <laughs> Yeah, so they're causing like anxiety, paranoia, depression, suicides and self-harm has gone through the roof, people with drug abuse issues, abusive relationships. I mean, can you imagine people in abusive relationships? They need to get out of the house. Yeah, and then suddenly they're trapped in the house with their abuser. Yeah, the one trip down in the morning to get the milk and the papers, their escape from the crazy selling drinking husband of theirs. 
it's no like life in matter really I mean the <laughs> family's been torn apart have gone through the roof businesses going under of course I mean there's a guy near me that he's got two sons one of them had a pub that's been forced to shut the pub and the other one owned a black cab company and that's gone bust so you have two sons with successful business enterprises and now both of them have got no businesses and are completely bust it's this whole thing once again to get more people dependent on the state. And then now suddenly they're in a point where BAM can get you with the China model of control, the basic income, the credit score system, the mass surveillance, everything we talked about in the previous episode, this communistic, technocratic, whatever you want to call it, fascistic model of control can suddenly be forced on you because you're left without a choice. You you are dependent on the state. Well, you, you've got nothing. They've done, you're giving it all away. They've done it even as... As recent as now, dude. They've done it with, obviously, something that happened in London, which I'll quickly just mention, which was to do with the low emission charge. Now, they, it's basically a small charging zone over London where the emissions of cars have got to be lower from a certain vehicle. Now, this is not to be confused with a congestion charge zone, which is a permanent zone which runs around the Isle of Dogs, Central and South East, East London, the Isle of Dogs area. That's all permanent congestion charge. I mean, this is the, the ultra low emission charge zone. Now, basically what they did, and this has only happened a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago, is any vehicle in the UK that is has a license plate from 2006 or older, so that's 2005, 2004, 2003 and onwards, and backwards rather, should I say, um, you now have to pay the low emission charge every time you enter London with that vehicle, every time. And that the low emission charge zone is huge, guys. It is huge. It is right around the north and south circular of London. It is a, the, the, the boundaries of the congestion charge are much tighter and restricted to the city of London or Westminster. The, the low emission charge is huge. It covers miles of Greater London. So now, if you're wondering, well, what's the play here, Adam? And I'll tell you what the play is. Second-hand car businessman. If you're a second-hand car businessman in London, any car that you have now, 2006 or older, it, when the person buys that car of you and drives it off the bloody forecourt, they've got to pay £12.50 each and every fucking day after for driving that car around London if you live within the ultra-low emission charge zone. And the, second, the, the second-hand car business was booming. Booming, right? Yeah. It was doing really well because no one could afford to buy a brand new car in a pandemic. Hmm, who's making money? Because second-hand car salesmen do a bit of brown paper bag money, a bit off the books. Yeah, yeah. So how can we come for them and really hit them hard now? They're going to have to get rid of all their cars. But you know what this is sold to you as? Oh, it's for the environment. But why are you fucking people now when they're on their arse, on their knees? Yeah, and it's not for the environment. And you're trying to... Anyone that's trying to escape like we said earlier, gypsies or travellers, homeless, anyone off the grid slightly. Exactly. Second-hand car salesmen, like you said, dealing with like uh, like money deals and stuff, right, then we've got to hit them. It's almost like they're looking at all the, oh, <laughs> all the businesses failing. <laughs> Perfect. Who's oh, next? Second-hand car salesmen are doing really well. Oh, how can we fuck them? It's like that game where you're whacking down the Oh, the little thing. Yeah, boom, 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 boom. You're just like trying to whack a mole. You think that these measures and these things they put in place, I mean, I know, like I said, we were talking about the low emission charge zone, but even now, like with the lockdowns, they were told this is going to help people. We're going to be able to separate the virus. Well, it didn't. 
They didn't even make a blind bit of difference. When compared to other countries that didn't do that, but had the same results. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know... You I'm sure they would do if there was if there was a super deadly disease and everyone just locked, locked themselves in their houses, then yes, I'm sure that it, it would have the desired effect. But that's not what this was. And therefore, that's why the data shows that actually in another country where they didn't do these draconian lockdowns and things were just the same, you know, that proves that it wasn't this deadly airborne virus he's got a nine, nearly a 99% recovery rate mm. uh, yeah, uh, you, you have to keep saying this because <laughs> I, I think people are forgetting this point yeah, you know, it, the people that are dying from this oh, in the UK the average life expectancy isn't anywhere near as high as the average death age of COVID 175 and one's eight. what's COVID 85 82 83 or something yeah. yeah the majority of whom have been in care homes mm. and Hospitals, no, like, like we discussed last time, no one's died from this in the street, like in China. No one's been dying at home. No one's, but everyone that has died from this has been old or with other illnesses, and every time in a hospital. Well, we actually said about trying to protect the most vulnerable people. Obviously, about sick and old people being in a hospital, but look at the lockdowns. I mean, I like the fact that you mentioned about the homeless people. There's still a lot of homeless people out on the streets. How? Why aren't all the homeless people dead? Like, they don't wear masks. They don't use hand sanitizer. They don't socially distance. Lockdown, I mean, the, these people are permanently locked out. They don't have a home. <laughs> the, streets, you know I mean? the streets are their home. They are the yeah. most vulnerable people. Like, I'm sure during something like the Black Plague, like, the homeless were probably, like, the first to go. You would have thought so. They are the most vulnerable people in our society. And there was talk for a while of, like, rounding them up and putting them into some kind of special shelter, like, a bit like the like Nightingale sort of thing, like something that was set up. A bit like when there's, you know, like, Hurricane Katrina and they yeah. set up these things. And then there was even talk for a while, I don't know if you remember this, it was in the papers, like, they're going to put them in hotels. I can remember Paolo, my neighbour, was going, you heard that, they're going to put them up in the hotels. I mean, can you believe it? Like, he was pissed off about it. Like, the homeless would get a free ride, you know. In a way, I'd be like, oh, I hope it's somewhere nice. The, but, the Ritz has got a few empty rooms. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah, yeah. Can you imagine? They're like, I've made it! <laughs> Top of the world, Mark! <laughs> Hello, room service. Uh, anything you've got on the menu, just send it up. But <laughs> but none of that happened. They didn't put them in these shelters or these hotels. Like where I live in Bethnal Green, there's a lot of homeless people, and you get to know them. You know, you recognise all their faces, and the same people that were here before all this started are, are still there now. They're still living. They're still breathing. Why aren't they ill? Why aren't they dead? I don't know, maybe they've got special immunities having been outside <laughs> yeah, right. in the cold I mean, and the winds. At the start, just like the Nightingale thing, they made this big hoo-ha about we might have to build special shelters for them. We might have to put them up, up in hotels and people are, oh, hotels are spending all that money, you know, on the homeless. They don't work, I work. Whatever, like, it, they made a big hoo-ha about it. But then they never did it. But then they never mentioned it again. It's not like they've ever mentioned the homeless since. No, no not once. In, in fact, the weirdest part was... Oh, we just leave them out of the conversation well, now. You would think, not only have they left them out, but why are there still homeless people out now? I mean, if it was that dangerous... No. I'd love someone to ask that at a press conference, like, um, taking questions from the floor. Yeah, yes, you. Yes. Um, why aren't all the homeless people dead? 
Um, next question. You can't have an answer for it. There, there, there isn't an answer for it. And it, well, the only answer is for it is there's no pandemic. It's a pandemic. So in the next episode, we're going to carry on with our series about the pandemic. Pandemic? Pandemic? Ah, see, you're saying it off the tongue now. I don't even know, yeah, right. You don't even okay. call it a pandemic now because that's <laughs> not what it is. <laughs> I actually mean to say that. And we're going to be talking about the new normal, which was a phrase that was getting knocked about a lot in the UK when this first kicked off. We're going to be going into the masks and the social distancing, the PCR tests. All that ugly stuff. And all the components that made up and still make up the pandemic because it's all pandemic because it's not over yet. It only ends when we say it ends. I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Schism. We've got plenty more episodes on the way. In the meantime, follow us on our Instagram at schism.tv and keep watching the skies. Thank you.